what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. We're all originals. You've all made America better, a better place, and you've made it seem a better place in the eyes of the people of the world. I'm Ian Wilder. I'm Fiona Hatch. I'm Sarah Nels. I'm Tyler Katzenberger. And I'm Allison Keeley. You're listening to 1050 Bascom, a podcast brought to you by the UW-Madison Political Science Department. this episode of 1050 Bascom, we're excited for the opportunity to talk with Tatiana Cruz as part of our Career Conversations series. Tatiana is currently an instructor at the Center for Law, Society, and Justice, and a graduate student at the La Follette School of Public Affairs. Tatiana is also working as a PhD student in law at the University of Brasilia and holds a Master's in Procedural Law at the University of the State of Rio de Janeiro. She worked as an assistant professor at the Department of Formal Public Law and Professional Ethics at the Law School of the Federal University of Juiz de Fora and held a position as first lieutenant in the Brazilian Air Force, working as a legal advisor to the Air Force Commander's Office. Today, we will ask Tatiana about her academic and professional path, as well as her current research and teaching interests. We also will touch on some topics related to contemporary Brazilian politics, including the last presidential election, the Brazilian Supreme Court, and the similarities between the U.S. and Brazil. We deeply enjoyed learning about Tatiana's journey and picking her brain over the state of Brazil. We hope you will, too. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the podcast. Is this your first time? Yeah, it's my first time. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Dr. Genghis. Thank you, all guys here and not here (laughs) for the podcast. Thanks for uh, inviting me. It's a great honor to be here. Of course, we're happy to have you. Um, we want to start off by asking just a little bit about your own personal journey as sure. an introduction, where you started, where you are today. Um, if you wanted to, you know, start off by telling us a bit about your academic and professional background. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can say that I have a pretty unusual path, <laughs> if you would say, uh, and that's because part because Brazil has an, an a different system like of education comparing to United States. So I did uh, all my background career in law. So my bachelor in law school in Brazil, my master in law school and my PhD in law school in Brazil as well. Uh, And I spent uh, from all this time, I spent uh, around four years teaching and six years on the Air Force as a legal advisor of the chief commander. Yeah, that's pretty much in a summarizing what I did so far. And now I'm here, but I'm, I'm happy to explore more. Yeah, what exactly did you do at, with your time in the Brazilian Air Force? I think that's such a cool story. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, I think I could start answering by explaining how the education system works in Brazil, like a little bit. Yeah. Sure. So um, in Brazil, that we could say that the well-known universities are federal universities, so they are public, you don't pay for them but they also don't pay you back. Sometimes you receive a stipend that I could say it's around um, $200 here to live the month, it's impossible. Yeah. So if you want to pursue an academic career in Brazil, you cannot do this as a full-time academic student because you cannot pay your, your bills. Like So you need to have... A, what the most people do is they find a job outside academia and they, per- pursue, the, they pursue the degree during this time. So that's what I did. I did my bachelor's in law. Uh, after my bachelor, we have some position as like a temporary professor. Without the PhD, you can teach for two years in public universities if you pass an exam. I taught for two years in a federal university in Brazil, did my master's these two years, 
And then I needed another source of income for my PhD. And I always wanted to see how the government works in the high level. So that's why I decided, okay, it seems to be cool. Like Brazilian politics, they were already going through a, a more conserv conservatorist path, I would mm -hmm. say. So I said, okay, inside the military, I can see a lot of stuff in this specific moment of the, the politics and of the country. So yeah, I joined the ranks and I stayed in, I, I stayed in the Air Force as a first lieutenant for six years. During that time, I did also my PhD in the capital, like in Brasilia. So during this time, I worked as the legal advisor for the chief commander in Brasilia. Like the, if you think uh, the Air Force is an, an organization, the chief commander is the CEO, like the boss of the organization. I was uh, in, I lead, I led a group of uh, more uh, legal advisors, more lawyers, but we worked uh, directly with him, like two, uh, I worked with two chief commanders during Chilmas, Michel Temer, and uh, Bolsonaro's government in Brazil. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, this in this role, I advised them in a lot of legal situations. So contracts, criminal investigations, criminal background, even some, even speeches for the media. Sometimes we would take a look and see if there's something wrong or something like that. Every, every legal related thing close to the commander, we would review before went to him. Wow. That's pretty much what I did there. Wow, such an impressive background. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So speaking of the law, a lot of the courses you've taught and a lot of the teaching you've done has been centered around law. Um, what are some of those courses and topics that you've covered and what, which one of those topics do you, do you like to teach and do you enjoy in your professional life as well? Yeah, so uh, I can say not just by choice, but also by the destiny. I end up teaching a lot of uh, uh, criminal courses, criminal law. So in Brazil, I taught criminal procedure. Here, I already teach uh, twice uh, introduction to criminal justice system in US. I'll teach uh, here in Polisci next spring, criminal law in uh, PS 314. So more criminal law, it's more... Since in the Air Force, I worked a lot with investigations. I think I leaned myself towards this. It's not uh, my research, but it's what I've been teaching and what I enjoy teaching. I, I figured out that the students, they like a lot crime and justice. So it's, it's yeah, pretty much what I've been teaching is focused on crime. We wanted to ask actually about that class that you'll be teaching in the spring of 2024. Yeah. Um, do you wanna, for our audience that's an undergraduate, pursuing yeah. poli side, do you want to give a little spiel about what that class is about? Sure, sure. So uh, it's going to be focused on criminal law and justice. We'll talk a lot about the, uh, an overview of the criminal justice system here from the charge to corrections. We look at everything. Uh, we also look about the specific crimes, like how we look about the discrimination, numbers, how the, the crime can intersect with the political science. And I mean, it's a pretty interesting course. I'm really excited to teach it. It's a little bit broader than what I've been teaching, which is introduction to the criminal system. Mm -hmm. So since I had almost 200 students, I think some of them are listening. If they took an introduction to the criminal system in America, it's good to take a PS 314 in the future. Yeah. yeah. Is the criminal justice system fundamentally different in Brazil than it is here? 
this was like a, this was a, a how can I say an, a challenge for me when I started teaching because I was formed in a criminal justice system in a we, we call in law a, a civil law system a civil law tradition in Brazil I came to a common law tradition a completely different system with a different criminal justice system as well some uh, just some difference. I mean, we don't have uh, the death penalty whenever, just doing war uh, in Brazil. Uh, here you have uh, trials, for example, juror trials for all the crimes. We just have juror trials for uh, homicides and crimes against life in Brazil. Like some major and some minor, but a lot of difference <laughs> for sure. And I think the most uh, interesting difference is the like uh, how federalism is sorted here in, in producing law, so every state uh, has its own law, so its own crimes. In Brazil, all the criminal justice is based in federal laws. So it's the same for every state. In this way, I think it's easier to, to teach. Because here, the students, they always have the question like, uh, it's, it's like this in Illinois as well? It's like this in, or, or it's just in Wisconsin? This makes things easier in Brazil a little bit. Yeah, wow, so interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so just to follow up the follow up, um, <laughs> Like, how was that process adapting from, you know, learning about this criminal justice system and, you know, when all of your work in the past had kind of been centered around Brazil and now you're thrust into, like, this new environment? Yeah. What was that process like? I got it, yeah. So the transition between the Air Force and me here today, <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I left uh, the academia in Brazil, law school, uh, everyone expects uh, if you are a good student, a good ranked student, that you try. Uh, uh, in Brazil, everything is public exams. You don't get uh, applications like here. You need to try for public positions. You need to try public tests, like really difficult exams that you need to be accepted in order to be a judge, a prosecutor. So every, everyone is expected you to be a judge, a prosecutor. Like uh, I think it's pretty much how it works here as well. But when I, I, I left school, I knew, like, my, my thing in the world is teaching. That's what I like to do. But to uh, try exams to be a professor in Brazil, you need to have the master and PhD. So as I said, I needed to work to get the master and the PhD. So I'm in the moment now in which, like, I'm, I will be always grateful for what the Air Force gave me. But if I want to move in my academic career, research and teaching, I need to focus more in my uh, degrees and background in academia and everything. So I needed, a, if I waited one more year, I would be a captain today, not a lieutenant wow. anymore. And I knew like if I was a captain, I would never leave. Yeah. Resign a tenure track position, it's a difficult decision. I mean, you need to really focus on your dream and say, okay, in the long term, this is what I want. So yeah, it was my time to leave. That's inspiring. I love that. Oh, thank you. We wanted to talk to you about your current trajectory and how you're you're studying at uh, yeah. Lafayette School, right? Exactly. Right yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit like about what that program is and like what your current research is, what you want sure. to do with that in the future? Sure. So yeah, I had the transition moment uh, during my PhD, last part of my PhD in law school in Brazil. I came here for four months in law school as a visiting scholar just to analyze the U.S. system and finish my thesis, which I will defend in August. Thanks, oh, God. Oh, yeah. my yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I came as a visiting scholar on law school, and here I saw, okay, from the first beginning, I knew my thing was not uh, in academia, would be more to focus on society than the law. 
So uh, here I started exploring, where could I go? Could I go to Polisai? Could I go to where? But I didn't have a lot of information. So uh, when I saw the La Follette School of Public Affairs, I figured out, okay, since I come from public administration career, I want uh, to understand better how is the academic life here in the US. I'll take this degree that is really well known and well ranked, and then I, I, I will have some time to think, okay, what do I need? Because for us in Brazil, it's completely different. When I came here, I was like blind, I was lost. <laughs> so uh, La Follette has been really good for me like uh, to track, to put me in the track, like, okay, you need to do this if you want this, you need to do that if you want that, things like that. They are really good in advising students. Yeah, that's what I would say. My current research, you asked as well. So I worked uh, with two professors in La Follette. One is Professor Mani Teodoro, which has a, uh, who has a PhD in political science as well. We work uh, on ideo political ideology and public bureaucracy. And I work with Professor Tana Johnson, that uh, also uh, is affiliated here in PoliSci as well. We work with the WTO and trade uh, uh, in international organizations, so it's pretty cool as well. So always in uh, more international focus since I'm pursuing the Master of International Public Affairs. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Can I also <laughs> ask what, um, you said that you're defending your thesis um, in August. What is yeah. that? What is that so, my, in my thesis, I analyzed the role of the Supreme Court in Brazil in enforcing and maintaining the precedence table and how this has been affecting the court legitimacy. So it's what we'd, we would call here judicial politics. Uh, some an interaction with the law. That's interesting. What are your main arguments and findings? Uh, I analyze uh, uh, two main moments in Brazil, which uh, were uh, Lula's prison arrest during the Lava Jato operation in Brazil, and how the Supreme Court changed the, the precedent over uh, the prison after a second instance decision. The main issue was when you are convicted without an appellate court confirming your conviction, can you go to prison or you need to wait for the final decision? So in three moments in the course of 80 years, the Supreme Court decided four different things going back and forth. And one of these moments, President Lula was arrested and the second he was released, like 500 days in jail. And this impacted a lot in, in individual level surveys, the perception that the population they have uh, about the Supreme Court. So yeah, that's my main hypothesis. If they focus more in stability, they gain in court legitimacy. And is the Supreme Court in Brazil viewed as legitimate? Yeah, yeah, pretty much like it's more than 50% of the population believe trust high or some type of trust in the Supreme Court, but the numbers of lower levels of trust, they are increasing over the time. They decreased a lot during the COVID and the decisions around COVID, which is part of my argument as well. Is the Brazilian Supreme Court like our Supreme Court, where they can declare laws unconstitutional? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is how the Supreme Court, this would be the main function of the Supreme Court in Brazil in a civil law tradition to control the law against the constitution and to declare if the law is constitutional or not. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So how does the composition of the Supreme Court vary from it doesn't vary a lot, just uh, in terms of the number. Here you have nine judges, there we have 11. But uh, the, the appointment by the president, the confirmation on the Senate, pretty much is, is similar. Yeah, a lot similar. So it also varies depending on the government in power as well. How did 
the Supreme Court's decision in Brazil on um, on Lula's presidency, especially um, like when he was arrested um, mm-hmm. several years ago, like how did that impact um, public perception of the Supreme Court? Because do I have it right that he was a pretty popular president during his first Yeah, term? yeah, he was pretty popular. And then we had, uh, uh, so Lula is now in the third term, third time as a president in Brazil. Uh, during this, during his two uh, first terms, he was super popular. And then on the transition to Dilma and uh, the investigation, the Lava Jato, or, or we would say in English, the car wash investigation mm-hmm. that started with a car wash, but ended up being the most, uh, like the highest uh, corruption investigation in the world. Uh, so with this investigation, the impeachment of President Dilma, uh, uh, the Workers' Party, PT, in Brazil suffered a lot and also suffered Lula. Yeah. So when the uh, Lula got arrested inside this investigation, because the Supreme Court decided, okay, you can get arrested before the final decision, uh, the final course of all your uh, criminal resources. So he, he was arrested. And then during this time, uh, a lot of resource, 516 days in jail, the Supreme Court overturned the decision again we are talking about Lula, but we had almost 5,000 of defendants being arrested and released because of these come and go in decisions of the Supreme Court. So this affected a lot the popularity. But I don't think uh, because of uh, all these defendants. I think because of Lula's situation. So would you prefer to work at a university in Brazil or a university here? Best question because <laughs> no, that's that that's my moment and now I need to decide this. When I came here, I said no, I will stay in US for the time to defend my thesis in Brazil. I'll get this other master that will join with all my my background in public administration, and I'll go back to Brazil and try my public tech exam. But then when I arrived here, work with undergrads for all the for like a one a year and something. I, I feel like, okay, I really like this system. I really like the way it works. But then, talking with all the faculty here, I know that if I want to pursue this uh, path, I need to do another PhD in poli-sci. <laughs> yeah, so it's a tricky decision, but I will. I think I will apply like, uh, and try this other, uh, other degree, because, yeah, that's all I get to teach. <laughs> Do you like living here as opposed to Brazil? Yeah, I like a lot. I miss a lot some some uh, aspects. For example, uh, population uh, in US. I I think in Brazil we are a lot warm. So uh, the climate is warm and the people are as well. So when I first arrived here, I was hugging everyone. I would say, hey, Amy, my name is Tatiana, I would hug you. And then I figured out, okay, this is a matter of culture. Not everyone <laughs> hugs in the US. So, yeah, a lot of people they do as well, but those things I miss. I miss yeah. the this, yeah. but I uh, the the part that I really like here is like you you get to walk on the street at 10 p.m. and you are not scared at all. You don't feel threatened by anything. And in Brazil, we always feel. Wow, that is such an interesting difference to think about. That you don't think about you know how to greet somebody differently when you're moving to a different state but exactly wow. you don't think about this you don't think about a, a lot of stuff like uh, teaching i realize a lot of things some of my students they help me to realize that this expression doesn't exist here if you translate it it sounds really really weird <laughs> yeah i mean like uh, first time i i, I taught here 
in Brazil we have an expression when you say like this is my field this is my expertise you say that this is your beach but in terms of uh, uh, the sea the ocean the beach yeah, okay yeah. you say this is my but the first time I pronounced this in the classroom everyone like 200 students they were shocked what is this girl <laughs> talking about because my pronunciation was not the best <laughs> at that point yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so all these small things you arrive home and you feel oh my god what am I doing here then you you sleep you figure out I'll get there yeah <laughs> and there here I am talking to you you understand me now there you go. wow what an interesting transition I know that I would have so many of those moments <laughs> like yeah. trying to move anywhere else what is she talking about it's <laughs> funny <laughs> We also wanted to transition. I know that we were talking a little bit about the differences between the Supreme Court in Brazil versus mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Um, we also wanted your uh, insight on what are like some of the biggest and most important differences between government here in the U.S. versus Brazil. I know we started to touch on that a little bit, but do you want yeah. to expand on that? So uh, we are both federal countries. So in terms of having a huge subnational government uh, sphere in municipalities, states, we are kind of similar uh, in that uh, we are different a lot in terms of uh, lawmaking. Like I said, like states here, they kind of operate alone. And in Brazil, the federal government uh, has a lot of powers, power in terms of lawmaking, if you. Uh, but I think... Uh, Pretty much, when you think about uh, current politics, we are going pretty much in the same direction. But Brazil is always, I, I like to say, one election back. So when you leave the Trump here, next election, election we leave the Bolsonaro. We, we experience the Bolsonaro. And everything goes like this. We kind of mirror U.S. in a lot of situations. And yeah, so we go in the, I would say, common direction and I don't know if we should since we are a third level country we had a lot of issues that you guys don't don't have so I don't know if it's fair for us to mirror a country that is so different like uh, from us and in terms of media is that something that's pretty similar to the U.S. too or is the media landscape in Brazil different yeah so yesterday I was uh, watching the the news and like uh, by a moment, I split up section, I heard the president, ex-president Obama saying this, he said exactly this. He said, uh, uh, I, I miss a moment in which we could disagree in the argument, but we would agree in the facts. Nowadays, like because of this media uh, split, we don't agree in the facts anymore. And that's the situation in Brazil. I mean, uh, this year, like months ago, we had a... A huge amount of the population is standing in front of uh, uh, military buildings like the army, the marine, and everything, and claiming for a military intervention. Like in a moment in, in which Brazilian democracy is well established, just because of this spread of information and like uh, and the media saying some things that the population just said, oh, this is not true, this is not true, and like the Telegram channels and the WhatsApp channels and everything. I, I think we are living the same moment in which we don't know anymore what is the fact it doesn't matter what matters is how the fact is presented and we have like this we could say extremely right extremely wing uh, left-wing medias in Brazil and uh, everything in the middle are also not impartial at all like so it's a crazy moment yeah I think that um, we've drawn a lot of comparisons between how Brazil and the U.S. 
seem to be very similar. And as you said, Brazil seems to be, in many ways, there are a lot of mirrors to what's happening yeah. in the U.S. So we kind of wanted to talk about something that's also really impacting the U.S. right now, a big topic of discussion, which is abortion. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we know that you have a publication, um, Roe v. Wade, and this that episode of Legal Abortion in Brazil. Um, and we just wanted to ask, like, can you tell us a little bit about that publication and maybe also just what is the state of abortion right now in Brazil, especially as it's such a big topic here in the U.S.? Yeah, sure. So abortion in Brazil is legal just in some situations that the law forbids, like uh, uh, the most important crime, rape, some things like that. And when the fetus has no way to survive uh, when uh, it comes to life. So this was a decision by the Supreme Court, but pretty much just on crimes. My publication was about a sad situation that happened in Brazil, like a 10 years old uh, kid that was raped by a, a parent, like a, a relative, I'm sorry, not his parent, but a relative. And uh, if you have the right, I would say, in terms of right to perform an abortion, this is not uh, really easy when it comes to uh, make it uh, like uh, happen. So the family took the girl to the hospital. They denied the abortion because of like procedurals. They said, oh, you are one day after the time we could do this. They were poor and everything. So the case went uh, uh, to the court. And then this case was super famous because uh, uh, the, the recording of the audience was leaked, of the hearing, I'm sorry, was leaked. And you see the judges saying, but think about your little baby inside your belly to a 10-year-old girl. Like, uh, don't you want to give him a name? Can you wait some more weeks to give this baby to another man that can take care? Would you be like, uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. Uh, uh, to say the least yes to say the least yeah so after like this like a really sad episode they could perform the abortion but then uh, i mean one month passed and this impacted a lot in the surgery and the, how the the child behaves and everything so in it was extremely sad and when roe versus wade the first decision was leaked in brazil uh, was leaked here and also in Brazil we knew about it and, and everything. This had more in, like more uh, time in the media and the, the, the conservatories speech and everything than this sad episode that happened in, right in the, the same moment. I mean, it's just crazy how you found a lot of people supporting the idea that that kid could wait a little bit more to give the child to adopt adoption. So I make this parallel of uh, uh, conservatorism values uh, in Brazil as well, and how uh, people are more concerned uh, with these moral values of uh, family and everything. Is there ever concerns about the separation of church and state in Brazil? Is that ever something that comes up yeah. as an issue? For the constitution, we are a state without religion, for the constitution. But uh, uh, nowadays, the House of Representatives, after Bolsonaro, has a huge amount of the representatives be coming from this uh, evangelic uh, segment, like uh, uh, surfing the wave of Bolsonaro. So uh, technically, we are a state without religion. But nowadays, the, polit the politicians, they realize that they cannot govern without uh, uh, at least talking with this population. 
So we had a huge event uh, of uh, from the evangelical field uh, two weekends ago, uh, joining I mean millions of people in, in in Brazil, all over Brazil, São Paulo, Brasília, Rio, all the capitals, and Lula took the opportunity to send a letter saying, hey, I'm really honored for being invited, but I can't go to this event because this and this and that. I'm sending some, some people to represent me. But Bolsonaro, as Brazilian president, was in both of the events of the Protestant population that happened during his tenure, like setting a, a, a precedent, a not really good precedent for all the politicians after him. So yeah, for, for now, at least for some time, it's impossible to govern without thinking about this population at least. There are 36% of the people that can vote in Brazil. This is a lot. I mean, kind of uh, turning away from this bleak conversation <laughs> that we've been having, um, do you see any important changes with the new Lula administration? Do you think that, um, like, what does the future look like in Brazil of democracy, of uh, the Supreme Court, of the Constitution? Does it look positive in any way? Or... Yeah, I mean, Lula and this, I should say this because if someone follows Brazil and is hearing to me, they would like me to say that Lula just nominated a, a one a, a possible new Supreme Court, Court justice. But yeah, for me, he lost a good opportunity to do a better nomination. It was expected for him with all the, the diverse speech he has to nominate maybe a woman, maybe a black woman we don't have in the Supreme Court, but he nominated, guess what? And believe his private lawyer during his process uh, in Lava Jato uh, operation. Yeah, so Cristiano Zanin was just now nominated, is published now uh, as the new, uh, of course, he still needs to be approved by the Senate, but the perspective is that he's going to be approved. So this tells a lot, uh, at least for me, about uh, how Lula is going to conduct uh, uh, these nominations to the Supreme Court. I can say I was uh, a lot sad with this event because all the people come to me and say, hey, yeah, you voted, yeah, you supported Lula, since Cristiano Zanin on the Supreme Court. What do you think? This is a lot sad for us. Like The Supreme Court is not there to be... Uh, a way to pay someone for a good work, even if it's good. Since you opened the discussion about uh, whether or not folks would vote for a black woman on the Supreme Court in Brazil, what does racism in Brazil look like? How does it manifest? Yes, I mean, uh, I, it's interesting because before I came here, I thought it was not anymore a huge issue for us because I came from academia and a lot of degrees and everything, even in the Air Force, even being a more conservative uh, uh, branch, this is not an issue. It's always like a, uh, this, pro this situation of being diverse in the military. I mean, at least with the black population, everything is okay. So I didn't think it was an issue, but now I can see uh, it's a much higher issue than I thought. Coming, uh, like leaving Brazil and looking uh, backwards, I can see. Okay, no, we we didn't. I we are not over this situation yet. Going back a bit to your uh, experience and career, how do you think that your experience with public administration has influenced the way that you view the law? Because sometimes things look yeah. great on paper, and then we find out that in practice, in yeah. administration, there are certain flaws, or you know, there's bureaucracy, things like yeah. that. Way. How has that influenced your view? This is such an interesting question because uh, when I started 
right after law school, I was convinced that I want to teach and I want to teach law. It's going to be criminal law or procedural law for my, the rest of my life and that's it. During my time on the Air Force, and I don't think it's because of the Air Force and military career, but it's because of seeing the government positions on the high level, I, I figured out like, no, my path is in political science. I cannot study law for the rest of my life, seeing this much corruption, seeing this much. And again, I'm not talking about the, the Air Force. I'm talking about the high level of administration in Brazil. So when you see how the things are done in Brazil, we call the Brazilian way of making things happen, which I don't think is really different from the way things happen all over the world. But when you see this, you, you kind of want to understand more why this happened, how this impacted the people, population's life and everything, then how uh, the, law the law process is making and everything, the decisions are made. So I'm more in this moment because of my career. Thank you for the question. Can you tell us a little more about what specifically about corruption you're researching and who you're working with? I mean, I have some, I can say I have, do you say idols when you really like a professor, for example? Yeah. yeah. yeah so I have some idols here on PoliSide, Professor Niels Ring, for sure, Professor Pivi House, for sure, Professor Kopelovic. Uh, a lot of them, I, uh, with Professor Pivi House right now, I just uh, developed a project about uh, corruption in Brazil. What, I mean, that is high, we know. But I wanted to understand, and this was a, a matter that always intrigued me, why if you ask uh, low-income people in Brazil what is the biggest problem in Brazil, why they say corruption? If they are like so far from the corruption process, if they are more impacted with public health system, if they are more impacted with poverty, so they have a huge range of 33 questions that they can answer, and why they pick corruption? This was my question in this project we just developed. And I, I mean, my hypothesis is that uh, with all this media uh, coverage of Lava Jato operation and how they said, hey, your life is like this because of this corruption scandal and the other corruption scandals in the government, then you need to blame corruption. And I think that's what happened in Brazil. For low-income folks in Brazil, what corruption are they seeing? Yeah, they, when they think about corruption, they think about a high level, they think about stealing money from the health system, stealing money from uh, a school system uh, to put on their pockets. That's how yeah. they see corruption. Because uh, uh, how media translated the, the car wash operation for them was like this. So, hey, they are receiving bribes that could go to you and they are putting in their pocket to make our oil company run to a a business company, X or Y, and everything. To what extent are those beliefs backed up by factual findings? And, I mean, what, what's really going on versus, you know, what part of these beliefs come from perhaps, like, media skew or media bias and coverage? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say there is not, uh, not any truth on this because, uh, I mean, you need to believe uh, that the common sense has some sense as well. So I do think there is some truth on, uh, on it because I, in the last instance, this money is not going to the population. But I also think this is how the media uh, frames the situation to them. So Lava Jato happened right, it started right before Dilma's impeachment. So when the impeachment was being constructed by the opposition in Brazil, so it was important to show Lava Jato this way. And then by showing Lava Jato this way, 
Bolsonaro came and they, hey, it's not like so good to present things this way because now we have Bolsonaro. Let's try to present another way. So all this uh, speech is creating like a figure in the population's mind that yeah. really intrigues me. That's such an interesting project. Are you, <laughs> yeah. like, is that in the middle of happening right now? Yeah, oh, this is in wow. the middle of uh, may I go to the PhD here or not? So like, <laughs> yeah. do I think the school are going to accept me? <laughs> Are there negative beliefs or negative attitudes toward public employees because of, um, you know, this pervasive idea and this pervasive perception of corruption in government? Yeah, so this is the other project. They are all uh, connected. This is the other project with Professor Mani Theodore. We are analyzing how extremism is behaving in government employee and in the population to see, like, is the government employee more extreme than the population or the opposite? Because, yes, the population perceives government employee uh, if you see like the, the levels of trust in government employee during the years, they are decreasing a lot. So we try to understand why, what's going on, like, why, yeah. why they are not connecting. Like, if both are extreme, why they are seeing each other as more negative than the others? Talk a little bit about media framing. Um, I'm curious how you feel about Brazil portrayed in U.S. media. And like if you feel U.S. media does... It's been coming up a lot, especially recently with Bolsonaro and the recent election. Like, do you feel U.S. media does a good job of portraying Brazilian politics, especially? Yeah, I feel it depends. It depends on what we are talking in Brazil. Because, for example, Lula has been saying some uh, silly things all over the world, for example, about the situation in Ukraine, about the situation in Venezuela. Lula just said, like, oh... They don't really have a dictatorship. This is how the media frames it, U.S. media frames it. So when we are not uh, speaking the same language as the U.S. Uh, government speaks, then we receive a lot of bombs, and then this impacts a lot on us. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say in the common population because they don't have access, access uh, to this media coming from here. But yeah, it depends on what we are publishing. Yeah, I, I will give an example, an interesting example about my mom. So Maduro just visited Brazil uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then my mom called me and said, Hey, Tati, uh, my sister was here, your auntie. And she asked me to ask you something since you know these things about politics. Uh, does it mean that since this guy came here, that uh, now we are going to start to be a dictatorship as well, like we were in the military regime in Brazil? Like, are we going to lose our stuff to the uh, social movements and everything? And I was like, oh, my God. And my mom, like, since I talked to her a lot, corrected her sister and said, oh, this is media. Don't believe on this. And like, <laughs> but just to see, like, how, the, the, how this is framed. Maduro went to Brazil and now the population thinks, okay, now we are going to become like they are. I think that we could continue on this conversation. Yeah, just, thank like, you so much. It's, it's, been, it's so nice to talk about this. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't talked about specifically that was on your mind that you think that we should discuss um, while we're still talking? No, I don't see exactly something, but I, I really would like uh, uh, to use this final moment to say like uh, how I've been, uh, how I'm thankful uh, for being received in the U.S. and this invitation that you just made. I mean, in my mind, sometimes okay, I'm just a, a Brazilian. How am I gonna? Uh, be in a podcast interview are they gonna understand what i'm saying does it make sense <laughs> so the way people receive me here 
uh, I mean, I just want to say to the universe and to you guys that I'm grateful for the attention and for the way you've been receiving me. Yeah, 